Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional song making at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org slash audit. This is Song Cycle, where we gab with cool people who bring their innovative ideas and projects to life to contribute to a more vibrant society through song. I'm your host, Sam Martin, founding artistic director of Cincinnati Song Initiative. Let's get into it. Whether it's performers with amazing stories from the stage, entrepreneurs and administrators who work tirelessly to push our industry forward in exciting ways, composers with an eye toward the future of song, or anybody else in this big community, I want to hear from them and share their stories with you. Welcome back, friends, to the Song Cycle podcast. I'm delighted to introduce this month's guest. And uh, if you don't know of her already, we are going to have a great time getting to know her this hour. And so here we go. Acclaimed by Opera News as being among the top accompanists of her generation and a coloristic tour de force by the New York Times, Grammy Award-nominated pianist Myra Huang is highly sought after for her interpretation of leader and art song as well as her depth of musicianship and impeccable technique. Huang is invited regularly to perform around the world with tours including regular appearances at Carnegie Hall, Wigmore Hall, the Mostly Mozart Festival at Lincoln Center, the Walt Disney Concert Hall in Los Angeles, the Kennedy Center, and the 92nd Street Y. Huang was chosen as the recipient of the Samuel Sanders Collaborative Artist Award for 2019 by the Classical Recording Foundation for her consummate artistry. Regular collaborations include recitals with Fleur Barron, Janae Bridges, Lawrence Brownlee, Sasha Cook, Ying Fang, Joshua Hopkins, Will Liverman, Angela Mead, John Matthew Myers, Eric Owens, Nicholas Pond, Susanna Phillips, Roderick Williams, and clarinetist Anthony McGill. Huang holds the positions of the Head of Music for the Lindemann Young Artist Development Program at the Metropolitan Opera, the Director of Musical Administration and Head Coach at the Aspen Music Festival, and faculty of the Collaborative Piano Department at the Manhattan School of Music, where she mentors and supports young opera singers and pianists of the next generation. She regularly adjudicates national competitions, including the LaFont Competition at the Metropolitan Opera, as well as administers master classes at institutions across the country. Huang is an avid recitalist and recording artist. She's a two-time Grammy nominee for her albums Gods and Monsters, and Clarier with tenor Nicholas Pan on the Avi label. Huang is a Steinway artist. And while I take a nap after reading that, I'll just let Myra <laughs> Huang here riff her own 
on her own and tell you guys all about her life and her amazing career. Welcome, Myra. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for reading that. <laughs> I'm going to bed. <laughs> Appreciate you. It's so great to have you here. It's so wonderful to talk to you. We've gotten to know each other over the past few years, but um, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I would like to re-get to know you every single year. So here we are, <laughs> welcoming you to the Song Cycle podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's always great to see you, Sam, and to chat with you. Yeah. So for those who might not have had the opportunity yet to hear a little bit about your story and the incredible diversity of your career, which is so inspirational. Let's go all the way back. And could you tell us a little bit about your early musical upbringing? Who, who were some of your influences? And then, I, and then I would like to ultimately get into how you, you know, peeled into the song world. But let's talk about Myra in general, uh, back in the very beginning and how you got your start in music. Sure. Um, <clears throat> my early childhood was in Portland, Oregon. And uh, my older brother, who's a year and a half older than me, is a cellist, a professional cellist. And so my parents were, you know, they pushed us really hard and we had to practice like four hours a day when I was like in middle school and all that stuff. Um, it was a small town. So we were, you know, very active from a very early age. Um, yeah, my early influences, I don't know, I grew up listening to Murray Pariah actually a lot on Mozart um, mm -hmm. and Arthur Schnabel on mm -hmm. Beethoven. Mm -hmm. And I heard a lot of string playing because of my brother. You know, mm -hmm. we used to listen to Rostropovich all the time and he was just listening to everyone. I mean, Yo-Yo Ma and Lynn Harrell would come through town pretty often back mm -hmm. then. Um Pierre Fournier, he would listen to all these recordings, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, regularly performing with him really formed, I think, a lot of my uh, musicianship skills. Chamber music was a regular part of my life. Um, so at one point, my parents thought, well, let's go head to the Big Apple and do Juilliard pre-college. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, I was 11 when we moved to New York, and my brother and I both enrolled in Juilliard pre-college. I did that for seven years, and then uh, did my undergrad at Juilliard with Martin Cannon as a solo pianist, uh, and then we start like transitioning into the collaborative piano world. Right. But um, I don't know. I think Emmanuel Axe is yeah. one of my most favorite musicians. There is just such integrity and elegance um, in his playing. Yeah. And uh, Radu Lupu for his sound. I mean, his mm -hmm. Schubert. Rest in peace. You know. Yeah, truly. Yeah. So those are some of my influences. Um, two questions. Were, was it all classical music in your household growing up or were there any other genres playing at all? It was all classical. Okay. <laughs> like I wasn't even allowed to listen to the radio, really. <laughs> you were you were steeped in classical. It was it was my world, yeah. And um, were were either of your parents musicians, or did they just set you and your brother up? No, they just set us up. Um, huh. Yeah, I think I think they both had an ear for it. 
particularly mm-hmm. on my father's side. Like I have relatives in Korea who, you know, were also musicians and things. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, you know, it's in my heritage somewhere. Um, sure. They both sang in the choir at church a lot, you know. Um, so, but, you know, they didn't have the opportunity or the resources to really pursue that as children uh, growing growing up in Korea. So yeah. it's hard to know for sure, you know. Right, right, right. Well, it's wonderful that they, I mean, I don't know whether you enjoyed being forced to practice four hours a day. I know I was running in the opposite direction of my piano yeah. and trumpet when I was that age. But uh, at, I'm sure, I'm guessing, looking back at this point in your life, you know, it's it, 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 it probably seems like what a gift and what an opportunity that was. I'm so grateful. So, so grateful for my foundational training. Yeah. 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 Um, so how did you come to the world of song? We've kind of gotten through your undergrad life at Juilliard, solo piano. How did you peel off and get yeah, established so with singers and in song? I Well, first I started doing the, when I was there, they um, had to sign up for outreach concerts. Mm-hmm. I think there was a requirement to do it. And um, I was paired up with a soprano, Sarah mm-hmm. Wolfson, who's a lovely, lovely soprano. And... Mm-hmm. Um, we started performing at, you know, hospitals and retirement homes and things like that. And um, it was really my first time collaborating with a singer. And so one time we were coming back from a gig and she was like, you know, Myra, you might think about actually doing this, you know, as a profession because you're quite good at it. And, um, and then I, you know, one of my really close friends, Kelly Kuo, who you might know, um, mm-hmm. he was studying with Warren Jones at the time. Mm-hmm. And Kelly was a good friend and like saw me, you know, do some things. And he was like, yeah, I feel like you've got the skills, you know. <laughs> so I went to one of his lessons with Warren. Um, and of course... I fell in love with Warren's teaching, yeah. And then I went to Warren and um, Sam Raimi's concert at Carnegie Hall. That must have been 1998 or 9. Okay. And I was blown away. I was floored by Warren's playing. I mean, Samuel Raimi was, of course, amazing and incredible. But I couldn't get over the impact that Warren's playing had on me. Um, I just had this really visceral reaction to him. So I thought, well, I don't know about opera and all this stuff, (laughs) but I don't care because I know that if I study with Warren, I will become a better musician. So, so then I prepped all the, you know, I, I applied for both Juilliard and Manhattan school and sang and played for the first time in my life. I was like, wow. oh, my God, I have to sing in Italian. <laughs> of course, I did Devieni. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Sarah helped me with my Italian. Oh, nice. And Yeah, and I just, like, listened to recordings. Yep. To try to yep. imitate yep. what I was hearing, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did actually get into both programs. Um Juilliard actually, so my little Juilliard story was I did my, um, I did my audition and it was like Brian Zeger, Jonathan Feldman, Sam Sanders in the room. 
and uh, finished and I left the room and then the monitor came running after me and they were like, um, um, they want to talk to you. So I went back in the room and they said, we see that you are a piano solo major at Juilliard. And they said, if you wanted to do your master's here, we could allow you to um, continue to pursue your solo studies if you wanted to, you know, at the same time as doing um, my master's in collaborative, which I thought was incredibly um, generous. And I was flattered, you know, just by that offer. Right. Um, So, but in the end, uh, I did decide to go study with Warren at Manhattan School. And that was life-changing for me. Um, He basically gave me permission to trust all of my instincts. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time that I really felt that I had the reins, you know, mm-hmm. um, of my m- musical personality, I guess, you know, and who I was going to become, musically mm-hmm. speaking. So uh, it was amazing. I mean, yeah. I-, I would like to affirm that feeling, and I know it very well because it's this, as teachers, it's this. Um, line to toe, right? How, how much to impart upon your students that, that they might legitimately need, how much might they need to learn and be taught? And how do you mix that with being inspirational and, and empowering their own instincts and their own musical intuition and creating a space for them to feel comfortable to let that out? Because there, I mean, there's so many layers to this, right? So many people come to study and they might um, think of the situation as at every moment I should just be deferring and learning and absorbing. And and you have to come to to know each and every student and what their tendencies are, are and um, how to empower them and mix that with foundational skills that they may need to learn. Or in the case of song, style, language, all that stuff. Um, so I say that just to, it, 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 that's, that must have been so impactful to feel so empowered by Warren and just have him um, push you out the gate and that you Absolutely. had a space to trust yourself and your instincts. Yeah. I mean, as a, an educator and teacher now myself, um, I mean, you covered the grounds, you know, it's so challenging but every student is so different Uh there are students who come in with like over education right (laughs) you know they have mastered every single bit of information that there is you know in their undergrads or grads or whatever you know in terms of style and diction and everything but they have not yet learned how to use their own instrument to convey what is inside Mm-hmm. you know, to, to be vulnerable, you know, and to make a sound that comes perhaps from the heart mm-hmm. as well as the mind, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have others who are all heart mm-hmm. <laughs> and soul and haven't had the training, you know, right. even any classical training to even have a sort of built in sense of style you know, why does Verdi have these accents here? Mm-hmm. Are they important? 
Yes. You know, Um, is this dotted rhythm important? Yes. (laughs) You know, not because we're trying to be correct, but because he was trying to imitate a sob, you know, with this dotted rhythm here. And, uh, and the languages, of course, you know, and our relationship to foreign languages, which is a huge journey. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd say that what made Warren actually so incredible was that he, he saw every student for where they were. And he did, he certainly did not treat us all the same, you know, right. I don't know if treat is the right word, but he didn't teach us in the same way. Right. The approach is customized. Exactly. So yeah. um, that's fantastic. That, yeah. That's what makes a master teacher, I think. Yeah. Okay. So, so you finished master's degree with Warren mm-hmm. and you're well into the vocal world. Um, as a pianist and coach who's involved in many different areas of this vocal industry, opera, song, et cetera, et cetera, recording, how does song and performing song recitals to you differ from other parts of your career? And, you know, I'm so excited to hear from you on this because you're a pianist, a vocal pianist that has fingers in virtually every aspect of the vocal industry. So how does song set itself apart? Yeah, I mean, doing song is really for me. You know, it's uh, it feels like the selfish part of my life because every other area is about imparting and uh, imparting and providing opportunity, um, mentoring. You know, but when I do recitals, you know, I really uh, am equal partner with the singers that I work, and it's mm-hmm. it's chamber music that right. we're doing. And that's just, you know, me being an artist um, and having the chance to express who I am, you know, through this repertoire and with my partners. Mm-hmm. It's the part of my career that I would never exchange for anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even though it seems somehow it seems to be the easiest thing to like push aside for now, you know, and like, well, we just... can, we can talk about all the reasons for that. There's, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, especially in this country where, where it's just not as prevalent, sadly, but right. yes, I know what you mean. Yeah. So, yeah. but it's the part of my life that, um, I can do mm. without, without thinking too much, you yeah. know, in, in a, in a way, of course I, you know, the preparation is a different thing, but, um, it's like breathing for me, you know, to be on stage and to make music with singers. Right. Do you have a favorite language, country, composer, any sort of box of, of songs or, or not? Um, I know for me, it's changes every day and and whatever, whatever I haven't, dug into for for a year is what I'm drawn to and want to make sure I get back to and then, right, I, then right, it's right. my quote favorite <laughs> yeah 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 it's an interesting question you know when I was I think my training uh in my early years as a solo pianist was mm-hmm. so much in um German uh composers mm-hmm. you know German style <clears throat> and so that music always comes really naturally to mm-hmm. me you know, just the classical canon of Schubert, you know, mm-hmm. Brahms, mm-hmm. Wolf, all of all of that, you know. I know. It's amazing. Um, 
However, I, I do feel that um, over the years that one of the strengths of my playing is also uh, in terms of my color world mm -hmm. that I find also fits French music quite well mm -hmm. because I think in French literature, color is so important um, yeah. and touch, you know. Right. Um, but I have to say that in my dream world and I still, and I'm like, maybe I'll do this really when I retire, you know? Yeah. But it's gospel music. Whoa. Like, I wish, I wish that I could play gospel music, uh, like as an expert, you know, mm -hmm. like I've had to do it with my recital partners, um, a good amount. And every time I do it, I feel like a fraud <laughs> because, you know, gospel playing is not written on right. the page. Right. And I didn't grow up, you know, in that right. tradition. Um, although I did grow up in the church, but my church music is very different from gospel. <laughs> and um, and so I, I would just prepare it by ear. But the freedom that I would feel in this music, I can't describe it. Sure. Uh, I can't really compare it to any other genre. So it's so unique. Yeah. And it's so really. felt. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. You hear that world? Myra would like to. <laughs> I need a mentor. Yeah. That's the final, <laughs> final, <come. laughs> final, final frontier for Myra Huang. For her <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> we heard it here. That's uh, amazing. Sorry. Yeah. I, I, uh, of course, German, French, it's, it's all amazing. And, and how your playing might need to differ from uh, one. I mean, all, s sometimes styles can be neatly put into boxes, right? Like, you know, color world uh, ch changes so often with French world, uh, French song, et cetera, et cetera. Not always, but it, but it can. And so right. um, I think that that is right on and it's such amazing music. Um, so that makes perfect sense to me. Um, so it's, it kind of tangentially with, uh, what are your different favorite uh, uh, songs and languages and countries to play song from? Um, how do you approach and prepare differently when you work with different recital partners? Because that's a huge variable that changes the dynamic of things. Um, do you, do you, if, if you change your process at all, um, is it conscious? Is it subconscious? I asked Julius Drake this question as well. And I, and I always love talking to other pianists to, ask if this is different when you're working with different partners. Right. Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, I definitely don't do it consciously. Mm -hmm. um, my process for preparing my music is pretty much the same. You know, mm -hmm. I just try to uh, get inside the music as much as I can. Mm -hmm. But the way that I respond to the different partners, of course, varies. Um, I think that as a collaborative pianist, it's such an intuitive art. You know, it's it's like that sixth sense, you know, that you have to have um, right. that involves having a really good ear, I think, um, and being able to hear and understand the way a singer moves through a phrase mm -hmm. and how they breathe, you know, the attack of their consonants, um, 
what comes first for them, yeah. the consonants or the vowel, <laughs> <You know? laughs> or what's more important to them, or should I say? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but um, everyone is so different, and I, I am quite, I think, flexible, and so, you know. Some people, I mean, I when I think about, I'm trying, I'm kind of like scan the people yeah, yeah. that I kind of regularly play with, but um, I have to say, it's not like a ton of discussion, all the, you know, for, right. for most of it. Sure, and yeah. you work with the top professionals, and a, a, as you are yourself, and it, a lot of it's got to be second nature by now. Right, right, and so, and you know, once you get out of school and you start working with you know, the people who are really up at the top, um, sometimes you get one rehearsal. Yeah. You know, you blow like, into town, you know, you fly to wherever it is and you get together that night, have your rehearsal and then you do the sound check the next day and then you go, you know, mm -hmm. um, I do personally love projects that are, that involve, a more uh, in-depth kind of examination of the music Same. in the ideal world, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And sometimes we get to do those, you know? Uh, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just like, okay, we're going on this tour. Here are the, the cities that you're performing in. Yep. Let's put it together kind of right, thing, right. you know? Um, so it, it just depends, but in the end, it's just very intuitive, you know? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that. Um, I didn't send you this question in advance, but, I, so you, you are the music director for, uh, the Lindemann Young Artist Development Program at the Met, but you also, uh, are at the Aspen Music Festival. And if it, it, there's some song activity there, right? Mm -hmm. So how, uh, how does, how does that all look at Aspen? So at Aspen, um, there are like a gajillion concerts during the summer <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, as all summer festivals are, it's, <clears throat> it's just like pedal to the metal the mm -hmm. entire time. There's mm -hmm. so many things happening. And so um, it's wonderful that at Aspen we have, you know, our opera productions, but then we have so many recitals. Mm -hmm. And my partner, Cameron Stowe, who is on faculty there, uh, really is actually in charge of, you know, programming the recitals. Um, and he kind of, he, he mentors the vocal collaborative soloists mm -hmm. who focus more on recital and instrumental collaboration as well. And I primarily mentor the opera coaches and pianists. However, uh, the great thing is we are cross-pollinating, right. you know, a right. lot. And uh, more and more, you know, striving to do so. So, um, like, for example, this coming summer, Cameron and I will both co-lead a master class on art song recital. Nice. Um, and I am also you know, meeting up to give lessons to the vocal collaborative pianists as well. So um, there's a lot of flexibility in the programming. And right. what I love about Aspen um, is that the vision is very much uh, for new music. Ah, 
yeah. And so, I mean, we do all the classical traditional stuff as well. But if you look at the programming of a lot of the concerts in Aspen mm -hmm. and under the vision of um, Renee Fleming and Patrick Summers as well, they, they really do um, like to explore um, new pieces by living composers. So that is a very much, that's very much part of our, um, the flavor I'd say of yeah. what's happening there. Super cool. Super cool. Um, where let's zoom out a little bit. Where do you see the future of song in general, but maybe specifically in America heading? Um, I know that there's always new music going on. It's wonderful to be able to connect with living composers that seems to be eating into in a positive way into the market share, if you will, mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm. of taking up space on recital programs. Um, that seems to be my observation. Um, do, do you have any impressions about where the song genre is currently and heading in this country? I agree with that completely. You know, I mean, it's really, it's also, it's even influencing the operatic landscape, right. you know, um, right. and companies are definitely programming more works by living composers. Yeah. You know, I think we're just in a time where it seems like we're hungry to hear and see and create music that is more relevant to our lives right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's so much uh, pain <laughs> right now in the world and um, young artists are interested in sharing who they are. And so I think that they look for music that um, represents who they are. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's actually extremely powerful in terms of establishing connection with the audience, Right. Um, finding music, uh, that's also in your native tongue or represents your heritage also right, right. <clears throat> um, is very important. Um, our Lindemann artists give recitals every year. And so I program those with them. Nice. And uh, I always try to do, I try to always balance it because I don't want to see the tradition of art, song and leader die, you know, completely. Right. And I don't think it will, you know, right. I don't think right. we're, right. I don't think we're in danger of that. However, uh, I hope that the teaching of it can continue at a high level, you know, in terms of really understanding style and tradition and all of those things. Right. So when I have the Lindemans do their recitals, I want them to learn, you know, some of this music um to really sharpen their musicianship mm -hmm. you know and to understand the traditions but then i also ask them to program things that are personal to them um, and also encourage them to do music in their native tongue if they are not english if english is not their first language sure. so i love the balance of both mm -hmm. um and even when I program concerts, you know, um, where the goal is to highlight some new music or living composers, I do love to juxtapose it with um, either better known music or traditional classical, you know, canon. 
Right. Because I find that um, we are so in the classical world, we're so used to some of this repertoire. And sometimes when you hear new music, you kind of, it's nice to frame it next to a familiar work. Sure. You know, because emotionally speaking, in some ways to have a frame of reference helps you to understand this new genre, you know, that you might not be so familiar with. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but it sure does. I mean, that's just normal. That's just normal psychology. And um, to, to put a point on your, your value of creating well-balanced programs in terms of traditional rep versus not versus combined with uh, newer repertoire or lesser known repertoire. I completely agree. And um, neither era should be villainized. Um, it's a matter of finding the right balance, as you say. And back to your earliest point of music that uh, it, that in today's society, we're hungry for music that is um, very relevant. It, it can't be a blanket statement that music of that more traditional rep just doesn't have the ability right. to, to be relevant <laughs> to today's society. There's plenty of, there's of plenty of poems and there's plenty of texts um, that, 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 you know, the great composers of hundreds of years ago set that still ring true very, very viscerally today. So um, not that I'm, you know, railing here for only traditional rep, but, but, but frankly, that, that it shouldn't be the the two eras shouldn't be thought about in that way, you know. Correct. Um, rather, that there is intentionality in what you program, and it's always very clear when the performers un understand or feel or are aware of a visceral relevance or connection, kind of regardless of the era of the composition. If that right. makes sense. I mean, that is the goal. It's not always achieved, I feel, you know. Right. And it doesn't always, you know, every single piece that we ever hear on the stage does not need to have some sort of searing, cutting, like, right. you know, th right. th there, there can be more, there can, we can, we can walk and chew gum at the same time, right? There can be exactly. more than one goal in a program. Absolutely. Well yeah. said. Um, so I, I, all that's to say is I agree with you completely. And I find, um, especially in this country. I mean, this, this ties into the diversity of this country, which frankly may or may not exist to the same degree in other areas of the world, in many other areas of the world. And so we have this beautiful opportunity and probably uh, more than an opportunity, an obligation to bring the diversity that exists in this country into the realm of song and opera and what we do here in classical music and make sure that all those experiences and 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 heritages are represented mm -hmm. absolutely um so as far as i'm concerned it just creates a beautiful <laughs> it just it just widens the net of what we can offer in our song programs it's exciting yeah yeah it's wonderful i mean i'm i just curated a program for wqxr uh -huh. with anthony roth costanzo because um the, I believe it was the Gerda Listener Foundation that was um, providing this opportunity for a few of the conservatories in New York City. Mm -hmm. But um, the concert was falling the day before Lunar New Year. So 
I said, well, let's, let's do a program honoring Lunar New Year and the concept of home because um, Lunar New Year is so much about going back home to be with your family. And they say, well, at least Google said that <laughs> it's the day of greatest migration on earth, you know? Oh, wow. The number of people that travel on that day to go back home. Wow. So I thought that was great. And uh, so, and it happened that most of our singers were Asian of Asian. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did a beautiful program um, incorporating both classical, traditional, you know, repertoire, yes, yes. but also a lot of Asian art song. And it what? was so beautifully done. Yeah, it sounds like it. And I, I would love for that to be a, a next frontier for repertoire that really gets explored and promoted in this country is um, is is that repertoire. And, yeah. you know, you and Fleur took such a great step forward uh, during COVID with that program that you did with the Cincinnati Song Initiative. And um, well, you, we have you to thank. Well, that, <laughs> was, that was a, that, that was platform. a huge that was a huge collaborative project, but it was amazing and it was so inspirational and we were all learning along the way right me too and yeah and i really hope that that repertoire takes a serious foothold um yeah. in our in in what we see programmed in this country yeah yeah me too yeah. i'm i mean i hope that asian artists will champion it you know more and more it shouldn't have to only be the asian artists but right. Realistically speaking, you know, we yeah. have to be the ones to say, hey, look, you know, this is great music. So, yeah, well, I think you're and I think once once it starts happening, there's going to be a lot of fantastic allies and other interested people who who want to take that repertoire and mm -hmm. run with it, you know, so long as it's not uh, 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 ethnicity related, um, right. uh, restricted text, but right. just just to have. Um, more songs from composers of Asian descent I, will be fantastic, and and all the all the new uh, uh, things that that will bring to the repertoire. I agree. So, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Well, I love that little detour that we took. Is there anything else that you want to, <laughs> to tell us about your your experiences or how you think about song versus other aspects of your life and career or what it's meant to you? Or did we? Did we do it? I mean, I definitely feel that, you know, in this day and age for pianists who want to do recital, um, it's a good thing to come up with programs, you know, because singers are always interested in new ideas, I think. And if you know a singer really well and you know their voice and you know their personality, if you can spend some time to think about, you know, hey, I think this program would suit you well, you know, what do you think? And you come up with some ideas for programming. Um, I think that that is a first step in providing more opportunity, you know, for a song recital. And then you pitch it to someone, a presenter, you know, or an organization. They're always looking for good ideas, always. And so I would say don't be shy about coming up with your own programs um, as pianists. You know, I think that if you really want to kind of carve out uh, a place for it, 
you have to come up with some ideas, you know, because right now uh, waiting around to be offered recital opportunities is it's less, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's less than it used to be. Um, so be creative, you know, and don't be shy. Like people really love to hear um, what's on your mind, what's on your heart. And you never know, you never know what programs can take off. So. Yep. That's fantastic advice. It's so relevant and so visceral in today's day and age. Uh, you're absolutely right. You know, gone are the days of really being able to sit waiting by the phone for that call. Right. Um, and that's, that's amazing advice. And the only thing I would add to that is if, if it, you know, in some world, uh, an, a third party doesn't pick up your fantastic idea for your program that you've built with a collaborator, find a way to do it yourself. That's you know, great. just get it out there. Yeah. If yeah. for nobody else, other than for your own artistic edification and to push your own limits and boundaries. And then the, the cherry on top of that Sunday is like you said, Myra, you might never, you, you never know who might be paying attention and what could come of that. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much exposure now. So yes, it's, yes, it's a new, it's a new age of self, self-producing, self-starting, taking initiative right. yourself. I mean, that is amazing advice. So thank you for that. Thank you. Yay. Well, thank you for spending the time to chat with me. And I know everybody's going to really enjoy listening to this. And it's always just a pleasure to hear your wisdom and your advice and your stories, because uh, it's just so inspirational for everybody. Thanks, Sam. I'm, I mean, I love also just conversing with you because your, your thoughts and, you know, your thoughtfulness about the industry um, is always really striking. So I really appreciate what you're doing and thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. All right, Myra, thank you very much. Thank you. Another big thank you to Myra Huang for stopping by and sharing her story with me today. One of my favorite takeaways was her optimism for the future of song and that a large part of it in today's society revolves around artists bringing repertoire to the table that tells their specific stories in order to establish a strong connection with the audience. This kind of programming will help share the unique power of song as a tool of both self-expression and community engagement. And that's awesome to see. What was your favorite part about this episode? Let me know when you rate, review, and subscribe this podcast. It's the best way to help the show reach other song lovers, and isn't that what it's all about? Catch new episodes of Song Cycle every fourth Thursday of the month, wherever you podcast. Song Cycle is a production of Cincinnati Song Initiative. You can learn more about its network of podcasts at cincinnatisonginitiative.org slash podcasts. That's all for now, songsters. We'll see you next time.